0: Coming up on Magical Medical Tour with my co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman, and special guest, Dr. James Quacko, family physician, integrative medicine practitioner, instructor at the Center for Lifelong Learning, and author. What is the difference between an internist and a family physician? What does it mean to mobilize our own healing power? How does one heal when the pain or issues seem to be endless? This and more coming up next here on YHTV. Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today for Mobilizing Your Healing Power. I'm Christina Suzuma and with me, my wonderful co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman.
1: And greetings to you, Christina. <laughs> <laughs> this gets funnier each time, but there's nothing new about it. Well, I wonder what that is. We say the same thing every time.
0: We Greetings, just everyone. We have more and more fun each time, Glenn. That's why.
1: That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm deciding <laughs> if we should have more fun or I should start.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they both go together, don't they?
1: <laughs> okay. Welcome, everyone, to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your medical guide along with Christina today as we travel through yet another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy in search of optimal health. So my question is, are you healing from an illness or an injury and counting on your doctor, your physical therapist, Pilates instructor, or other healers to do all the work? Stay tuned to today's uh, interview and learn how to mobilize your own healing power with Dr. James Quacko. But before we go, Christina, how do people get in touch with us?
0: Yes, at any time during this show, you can feel free to ask a question, make a comment, simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Now, you could be watching this years from now, next month, it doesn't matter. We will do our best to get back to you and to post your question uh, to our special guest or to Dr. Woolman And um, yes, and post it back in and you will you will get a reply. Or if you're listening to this as a podcast do give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Thank you, Glenn.
1: Perfect, Christina. Looking forward to uh, hearing from people. And you know, I want to say something that uh, if people that are listening to our show ever have an experience in medicine or uh, have a healer that they think would be good on our show, please get in touch with us. Mm -hmm. Let us know, and we will talk to them and possibly do an interview with one of your favorite healers.
0: Yes. Great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, Dr. James Quaco is a family physician. He's an integrative medicine practitioner. He's an instructor at the Center for Lifelong Healing. And he's a new author. He's also served on the boards of the American Holistic Association and the International Association of Near-Death Studies, which should be kind of interesting when we talk about that today. So, without further ado, welcome, James. Hi, Glenn and Christina. (laughs)
0: Hello. Delighted to be with you. Well, thank you so much for being here with us and honoring our global community. It's great to have you.
1: Thank you. Excellent. Uh, Jim, we're going to uh, talk to everyone, and as the medical guide, I always tell everyone what we're going to potentially talk about today. We're going to find out a little bit about you and your training and the practice that you do. We also want to talk about uh, the book that you've written, and we're going to potentially talk about holistic medicine and near-death experiences. Is that all right with you? Marvelous. Great ideas. Uh, Yeah, I think so, and I can't wait to hear uh, your thoughts on all of this. So let's start simply with what influenced you in going into a career in healing and medicine?
2: Well, I was raised in a family where there was already a fair amount of um, medical involvement. My mother was a nurse. My older sister uh, was a nurse. My oldest brother became a doctor. And one day when I was coming up the stairs, I was a junior in high school at the time, happened to walk by the the uh, dining room. My mom and dad were sitting there chatting, and my dad turned over and said, "Uh, Jim, what do you think you'd like to do? And without thinking about it, without giving it much thought, I said, well, I think I'll be a doctor. I walked (laughs) on from there. I didn't give it too much more thought, but I ended up making some interesting decisions uh, over the few years after that that certainly pointed me in that direction. And More in retrospect than at the time, um, they helped uh, set my feet in that direction pretty solidly. We had a family doctor who, at the end of my first year of college, set up a project to take young people, students like me, 18, 19-year-olds, down to uh, Honduras. To provide medical clinics for the people there. And we provided basic medical care, and um, some physicians would come along, and uh, it was just a marvelous, really eye-opening experience for me. So I, I participated in that. I ended up spending my summers working at uh, various camps that involved medical activities. I worked at an Easter Seal camp with uh, handicapped kids. Um, the father of my best friend was very involved with Easter Seals and um, suggested it as a good use of my summer time. And, and for the first time, I became a counselor of young kids, 8 to 12-year-olds, uh, with a wide range of problems. I didn't know very much about them. Um, in particular, I remember some to this day. A uh, marvelous boy with multiple sclerosis who could talk but couldn't move his body very well. Mm-hmm. And yet we struck up a conversation. It was very hard. He he cried at every meal for the first two weeks of the camp because it was the first time he was away from home, and that's when he would visit with his mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we slowly got to know each other, and he ended up having a marvelous summer. It was the first time he had been away from home. So these things uh, just framed my awareness in marvelous ways. I ended up then starting a volunteer Program for the rehab, the children's rehab at our local college where I was going to school, and lined up people to help take the kids to various events of uh, sports events, speaker events, music events. And, you know, I just thought this was a natural thing to do, and I I loved doing it. And um, I'm sure it made it easier for me to get into medical school and consider it a serious occupation. I, I was very fortunate. I don't know that I had. Uh, perfect grades, but um, at our school, for the first time, they did not interview several students, one-third of the class, and I was so glad to be in that group because I was quite timid and shy in terms of getting up in front of groups of people, even a board, asking questions, now, why is this of interest to you? (laughs) But um, fortunately, I sailed right in, and I'm sure it's because of the background that um, I was led to and followed.
1: Mm. Seems like you did more medicine before actually getting into medical school (laughs) than a lot of people do in their uh, lifetime. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, summer camp. My parents were part owners in a summer camp, and I went to summer camp from age about nine to about 23. Uh, So I have great experiences there. And uh, I remember uh, because I had wanted to go to medical school, I always kind of hung out with the camp doctor a little bit to know, find out things that they were doing and get excited about it and that influenced me a little bit too. So you went you went into family practice and I want to talk about that for a little while. But first I want to know what's the actual training it takes to become a family practitioner or family Well of course doctor? four
2: years of four years of undergrad and then medical school four years and now it's a specialty, three year specialty after medical school. So in the past it used to be a one year rotating internship for most physicians. And that's what family doctors more or less do. They go one month at a time through the different specialties, and then the second and third year, they assume more and more responsibility for their own patients. And family physicians, however, not only are trained in terms of hospital care for their patients, but also outpatient care, because family docs spend most of their time without patient care rather than inpatient care and so that's probably how it would differ a bit more and so it would be general medicine we learn a great deal about a wide range of problems um old to young uh women uh and men and um so um it's more of a general uh, approach to a wide range of problems rather than highly intense um, knowledge about one specific area
1: so, you know, you call it family practice, and we seem to think that there's a need for more family practitioners. Why would someone choose a family practice specialist as their primary care physician versus, uh, say, an internal medicine doctor or something, someone else?
2: There is more of an emphasis on the whole family. There's an emphasis on taking care of the children from the time they're born. Family physicians are taught how to give birth to babies and then talk to them about vaccinations, about health care, about different ways to avoid various other problems, treating various problems that occur. It involves the whole family, and that's how it's a bit different. So women's care, men's care, but uh, also children as well. So as internists would not emphasize the care of the children very much, although some of them may start with seeing teenagers. Uh, Many of them wouldn't. They would acquiesce to the pediatrician. Of course, if it gets too complicated, uh, family doctors would refer to the pediatrician. If women's problems get too complicated, we refer to the gynecologist. But in general, we are treating the whole family, and I think that's probably the main distinguishing factor of it.
1: Would you say that the family practice doctor is like the old-fashioned country doctor? Yes, it is. The only difference is we don't do house calls
2: like they used to. I've done a few, and it's quite marvelous. You walk into somebody's house, and you see exactly what they cherish and what they don't, and whether they're organized or not organized, and what kinds of foods they cook or don't cook by the smells that are present. You learn Mm. so much so quickly. It's kind of unfortunate we don't do that anymore. But there's very little of the house calls. So now there are specialties that do house call in particular. So most family docs don't do that. But in general, we're still seeing, you know, the wide range. And often a parent will bring in a child, and then you'll see one family member and then another one. And Susie has a cold, too, the same kind of cold. So I brought them both in.
1: (laughs) I I still make house calls as a medical guide. I, I think it's kind of interesting. You know, sometimes I I have clients that can't get out of their house, and although I can talk to them on the phone every once in a while, I still do house calls for them. So you've been doing uh, family practice for about how many years now? Oh, about 40 years. Hard to believe.
2: I enjoy it more and more. I love what I do, I'm, I feel so fortunate to be led to this field, uh, to have people coming to me, asking me various questions, and being able to help relieve some of the suffering, some of the pain, some of the worry and the anxiety. I think I probably do more reassuring to people than anything else, um, that hopefully this is not a serious problem like cancer or serious heart disease. And I really enjoy explaining to people what's going on, helping them connect the dots Uh, as to why the problem they have now is happening. I try and help them see what might have led to it. Uh, For instance, the habits of health, the habits of diet, the habits of exercise that might not have been in place, that might have predisposed them. Uh, the, The various stresses that piled up and eventually erupted in one organ or the other the weak link of the body, which uh, often is the case. We all have these. Our family history helps us determine what those are to a certain extent. So I enjoy teaching people how to be healthy in particular. We are taught how to treat disease and serious disease, but um, I want to help people prevent problems. I want to help people... Um, take on the responsibility for being healthy themselves, and learning how to eat well, learning how to exercise well, but also learning how to manage their 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 big decisions. Uh, all of that has a place in terms of the health that they uh, that they have or don't have.
1: From the beginning of your practice forty years ago to today, w- what changes do you see in the concept of? the view of health of families? Well, it's a huge question.
2: I think much more information is available now than ever was available before. Uh, the computers, the web has brought so much more information to us. I have more and more patients who are coming to me now. They checked out the symptoms they have. This is what hmm. they're worried about. Will you be sure that it's not this disease? Will you test for that one? <laughs> The other big change, of course, the most recent change, is the health records, the monitoring, the electronic health records. And now most physicians have a computer in front of them when a patient comes in. I don't do that. I still use paper charts. Um, I saw a patient just a couple weeks ago who said, I'm so glad to come to see you. My other doctors are looking at a computer screen and you are looking at me. I think people miss that. Uh, it is important how to maintain that that uh, human connection, that caring connection that uh, we need to radiate so that people will feel the reassurance that they're being listened to, paid attention to, and being cared for.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. those are all good points you're bringing up. Uh, in the training that you had versus the training that family practitioners are getting now, uh, I know when we started, we didn't get much in nutrition, uh, and we didn't get anything really in prevention. Uh, do you see a difference in the training programs now that the new family practice doctors are much more into nutrition and and exercise and all of the lifestyle changes?
2: There's no doubt it is increasing tremendously. I'm delighted to see it. There is now Um, present in most medical schools, an integrative medicine department in which the medical school is making available to medical students during their initial four years talks by the physicians in the integrative medicine department about nutrition, about exercise, about uh, the role uh, that stress is playing in, in various illnesses. And so they are paying more attention to it. To get major information, you still have to have initiative on your own. Uh, To me, it was a natural thing. I recall some family friends talking about Adele Davis way back when. She was a registered dietitian who popularized the use of good nutrition to be healthy. I started reading about that before I was in medical school and uh, met other people who had some interest in doing that type of thing. I... I uh, happened to meet a physician, somehow a light went off, and I participated in what he put together as a group program, in other words, multi-specialties working on a particular problem. He was a pediatrician who was interested in learning disorders, so he had physical therapist, a social worker, a psychologist, um, a pediatrician, um, parents. And I sat in on several of those sessions. Family medicine now is beginning to recognize that to provide excellent care, we need to be aware of other areas of medical need. And so other specialties need to be coordinated at times, other resources in the community for the family. So family physicians are becoming a community coordinator of sorts of the various um, uh, resources, yeah, in the community itself, and uh, it's, a, it's a vital function, a marvelous function.
1: That's an interesting uh, point. When you talk about the integrative medicine in uh, the medical schools, are these optional or mandatory classes? Well, they all started
2: off as optional, mm. and uh, they're not, uh, to a uh, major extent, training physicians how to become highly skilled at the new use of providing nutritional advice, Uh, supplemental advice, uh, how to set up an excellent exercise routine for optimal health, uh, uh, weight, uh, um, lifting weights, that type of thing. But they are exposing them to it and they are exposing them to the scientific literature that backs up the use of these things. So for the students who are more interested, it's making it much easier much more valid, much more authentic to pursue these. When I was first starting out, I remember going to major medical meetings. I remember one by a very esteemed hypertension expert from Texas. And during his whole talk on hypertension, didn't mention a word about exercise. So I went up to him afterwards and said, you know, why didn't you mention this? It's safe, it's simple, it's effective, it's very helpful. He said, oh, um, Ken Cooper talks about that. I don't need to mention that. Currently, today, all of these uh, general topics that you're emphasizing that I'm talking about are, are part of the general talks now, and uh, it's marvelous. So in integrative medicine, um, they are beginning to make this more available. And um, although they're not getting highly skilled, at least they're beginning to enter into the field of it.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing that more and more now. There are a lot, of, lot more talks on lifestyle medicine. So you were on the on the uh, board of the American Holistic Association, and we hear the buzzword of holistic practices and everything. Explain that to us, and how is that different than a family practice doctor? What's different about being holistic versus a regular doctor?
2: Well, holistic's an older term now. It was one of the first ones that came up as we began to explore this broader. Broader field of healing within the whole field of medicine. Medicine obviously provides a great deal of benefit, a great deal of uh, health and healing and saving lives every day. I feel so grateful to be part of it. But uh, what uh, holistic and integrative medicine seek to do is to broaden the field of medicine to include the field of healing which is part of our own innate uh, nature, part of our essential ingredient for being a human. We have an inner sense as to how we need to take care of ourselves. So holistic especially emphasizes the fact that we're not just a body. We're also a body of feeling. We're a body of mind with a wide range of thoughts and ideas and thinking and decision-making. And we're a body of spirit. We have a source of life. Whatever term you want to use to describe what that is varies a great deal from culture to culture, religion to religion. or, And now there's less and less interest in religion per se, and so more and more people are starting to talk about themselves being not religious but spiritual. And so mm-hmm. Holistic attempted to include all of these different elements. and. I find them essential in terms of trying to help people understand the condition that they're in, and also, more importantly, identify resources of support and healing that are available to them.
1: Good answer. You know, you've you were one of the people that started an integrative practice right away, and. We all had to, those of us that that believed in integrative medicine had to work with colleagues that shunned it, thought it was snake oil, uh, a number of other things. What kind of uh, resistance did you find as you were practicing, and and what does that look like today? Well, the resistance
2: when I first started... I didn't have as much direct experience, but I definitely felt the criticism. I was certainly aware that what I was doing was odd and unusual and not scientific. Uh, Fortunately, I had marvelous mentors and they reassured me, they connected me to the science behind what we were doing. There's a huge amount of science behind many aspects of integrative medicine, uh, including the spiritual aspects. Uh, Family practice um, journals on a regular basis now, to some extent, are referring to taking a spiritual history, for instance. That was probably the most uh, innovative and and the biggest leap, but in any event, um It is becoming more acceptable, all the different elements of integrative medicine and holistic medicine. What I found was I uh, not very much comfort or support from my colleagues. And so I created my own peer group, essentially. And several years ago started a monthly group uh, that I was uh, glad to have you part of and and visiting mm-hmm. to a certain extent, mm-hmm. and speaking to. And so um, I invited a number of people, physicians chiropractors, acupuncturists, physical therapists, body workers of various kinds, Pilates, experts, uh, healers, uh, counselors, psychologists. And so we meet once a month, and uh, this is my contact with the... Um, with the medical community, essentially. And uh, so I have found a huge amount of support that way and continue to expand my own awareness by catching up uh, with others. The field of healing is vast, and I think the medical field is slowly uh, being pushed into recognizing uh, and acknowledging it and, and working with it more completely. So I'm delighted to see that. Um, chiropractors have a great deal to offer. Massage therapists have a great deal to offer. We each have to learn our own, our own boundaries as to what's, uh, what we're most capable of, uh, how we can provide good professional care, uh, and then coordinate that as well as we can with the other professionals involved with, uh, with the individual people we're serving.
1: And what else, what do you see in the future about what has to be done uh, to get more of our colleagues involved in integrative medicine? Eventually, hopefully, it'll just be called medicine, right?
2: That's correct. And um, however, sometimes we have to change the name uh, <laughs> because the field is changing. And that's why certain organizations change their name from time to time. But in any event, yes, it's all medicine. It's all healing. It's all health. And the more we include the different elements, the more we can be out front in terms of supporting it, but also supporting the research behind it. You know, that's one of the marvelous advantages of going to medical school, is to learn how to take science into the realm of suffering, of disease, and of health care. And um, and we need to... Uh, expose our various interests in various kinds of foods, various supplements, various kinds of exercises to the scientific paradigm because that's how we use an objective framework to decide What's worthwhile for a number of people, not just for me, but uh, not just what I like, not just what I want, not just what somebody is trying to sell me or talk me into, but what science supports? And uh, I'm delighted to know and be exposed to huge amount of articles and a growing number of research efforts that's supporting
1: this effort. Beautiful. Well said. Christina, any thoughts so far?
0: <clears> hmm... <throat> Jim is covering sh- every, every area so well. <laughs> I know. Um, no, not yet, Glenn. Actually. Okay, then
1: I'm, I'm going to yes, move on yes. then. Okay, Jim, so uh, you're practicing for a long time, and then suddenly you decide to write a book. And you wrote a book called Mobilizing Your Healing Power, which has just come out. Uh, first of all, what what made you want to write a book? And then let's talk about the book itself. Well, it's a whole
2: new endeavor for me. So um, I I do not automatically consider myself a writer. I had difficulty, um, and I wasn't quite sure I'd be able to do this. Um, I obviously have learned uh, various kinds of things. I've had to write reports of various kinds. I've had to learn to organize my thoughts and put them together. Uh, But to write a book seemed um, huge, uh, momentous, uh, overwhelming at first. I knew it was a possibility. I had given several talks at the Center for Lifelong Learning that you mentioned, our local community college uh, adult ed extension program. And I thought it would make sense to pull together those talks. And so I was dwelling with it for a while. A few people mentioned it to me. And then I happened to mention, um, I happened to invite Jack Canfield to one of our monthly meetings. And after my introduction, he said, Jim, there's a book in there for you. And mm-hmm. so it's hard to ignore somebody who's, who's the co-founder of the uh, Chicken Soup of the Soul series. So, um, However, a few weeks later, I woke up from a dream. And in the dream, uh, my sister was there, and I had a baby in my hands, and I um, almost lost the baby, and it was like dreams, you know, you, I, I was walking on an ice floe, and then I saw people ice fishing. And I thought, ooh, this would be terrible if the baby was under the water. Of course it would. And of course the next scene was, the baby's under the water. And that's a horrible thing to think of. And fortunately, the next scene was the baby back in my hands, and I'm walking to a inside of a house. And, but when I woke up, I'd been doing enough dream work, enough awareness of my deeper thoughts and feelings about things. I woke up and knew the baby is new life. The new life is a book. It was only two weeks ago. I was given some support to proceed with it. I need to start. So on that day, I began to start writing. I didn't know exactly where it would go, how it would happen, but I proceeded uh, in part on faith and part on prior knowledge and prior experience and fortunately slowly came together. It took me five years to really pull it all together. Some people write faster, but I was busy doing other things. A good friend of mine said, Jim, how do you get all this done? I said, well, I don't start until everything else is done. And that's the way it is with a new project many times. But in any event, it slowly unfolded, and um, then I discovered Amazon. They have a self-publishing unit called CreateSpace, and they were extremely helpful. They couldn't have been more helpful. I was delighted. Um, so it, it was one major step after another, and uh, the more it unfolded, um, the more I, you know, confronted each step after that, and. You know, uh, after it was finished, I couldn't believe what it looked like. I was thrilled. It was sort of an anticlimactic thing because of all the time and effort I'd put into it. But um, uh, very pleased to see uh, definite guidelines. The thing that probably spurred me on the most was recognizing that many of us don't appreciate how many resources available for healing are, are available close at hand, closer than our fingertips. It's within our heart, within our mind. We know how to take care of ourselves. We just keep forgetting. We just don't pay enough attention to it. We just don't wake up at the beginning of the day and say, now, how can I take good care of my health today? How can I eat better today? What exercise do I need to do today? Um, What challenges do I have? And who can I ask for support from those I know today? And what resources within me are available today? And how can I set forth a phrase or some kind of commitment that I want this to be active today? And so in, in the book, I emphasizes this fact. I take a very practical view at the end of almost every chapter. I've got a list of suggestions. This is the way that you can sleep a little better. This is the way that you can diminish some of the stress. This is the way, these are the steps that you can relax um, a little bit more. I'm a big fan of taking naps. And, uh, so I had a chance to work at a chronic pain clinic where we were all encouraged to lay down after lunch because that's what we were encouraging our pain patients to do. But it's one of the ways of dissipating stress from the body. And so there are these multiple different elements, but I'll let you go ahead. What else (laughs) would you like to know about that? (laughs) uh,
1: a lot of things. First, uh, I've been trying to write a book for a long time, and I've been working on it, but I haven't had that ice fishing dream yet. (laughs) So uh, hopefully I'll have something that's more in in like a Tahiti area rather than ice fishing. Because I might be
0: in that dream too. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I was raised I in North Dakota, Glenn, so
2: you know it has to do with my background. <laughs> uh. You're going to get somebody, you're going to get maybe uh, a a coconut dropping from a tree. (laughs) That's right. I'll be carrying right in your hand. (laughs) Uh, I'll be carrying the (laughs) coconut. I
1: I actually almost had that happen when I was in uh, Costa Rica once. We were under these trees, these big coconut trees, and they they mentioned that every year a certain amount of tourists uh, go downhill because they get hit on the head (laughs) by a coconut. What was fascinating for me was our guide A coconut fell right while we were having the talk. I don't know if they had it planned or something, but somehow the guide had an intuitive sense that he just, without even looking up, stepped over to one side and the coconut just landed right next to him. It was it was pretty Whoa, impressive. <laughs> Whoa,
2: I'm impressed. And that's uh, one of my chapters is on intuition. You know, we need to pay attention to these mm-hmm. subtle hints we get. We don't even know where they come from sometimes. Um, I had one recently coming home from uh, choir at night. That's one of the ways I keep myself healthy. And and um, I was at the stop sign um and while i'm there i'm thinking of a memory when i was very generous with somebody who happened to run into my car when i was younger and sure enough there was a van in front of me pulling out and it was somewhat of a dangerous situation i didn't quite heed it as well as i could have but but i think we get warnings like that and it's fascinating i'm a big fan of larry Dossey and uh, many of the things that he writes about how to be healthy with uh... with our thinking with prayer um and and uh, premonitions and some of these things they're they're more real than we realize and uh, the more we explore them the more we ask questions of ourselves and those around us I I think the more we awaken uh, our awareness and um, um, the hints and nudges that we get
1: what is the healing power that that you want us to mobilize? I mean, we talk, you know, in Western medicine, we know that there's ATP in the body for the energy. In Chinese medicine, there's chi. In Ayurvedic, there might be prana and other areas all have their energies and healing powers. What are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about it at
2: each of the different levels. And so most of us uh, function and operate at the physical level. So for me, the practical use of mobilizing your healing power is to be sure that you mobilize good eating habits. It's one of the main concerns people have for how to be healthy. We're flooded with a wide range of ideas. And so one of my goals is simply to get people identify what are important foods to you, write them down, Do something physical that will remind you and extend your action to follow through with what you know to be true, what you know is helpful. And then we take it further. At the emotional level, there's no question that we know the people with whom we have difficulty. And so I encourage people to set up a diary, to have a counselor if necessary, to have a mentor of sorts, to have somebody they can go to, whether a minister, a counselor, a rabbi, to ask the questions, I need help. Most of the time, I find that we hold things inside too much and too long. And if we simply start recognizing that, The part of us that wants things to be better also has solutions to it. And sometimes we do need to ask other people to awaken our own ability to understand that a little more kindness would go a long way, a little more forgiveness of the mistakes I've made will make it easier and lift my burden and probably make it easier on my spouse and family members. A little more courage to speak up when I disagree with somebody or I have different feelings about other things going on might help let other people know I do have something to offer. It may not be dramatic, it may not be tremendous, but it's what I have to offer and the goal is to encourage people to respect that so that they're more engaged in the life they have and so that they enrich the lives of those around them when it comes to the real healing power there's various steps that can be taken and one of the steps that i strongly encourage is to go back to some of the peak events in your life and try to consider why did they happen how did they happen How did I come to make that decision, and I did it well, and I need to take credit for it, and I need to go back to that, to tap into that touchstone of making the right decision the right way at the right time? At times, some people are ready for even more than that, and so I often encourage people to consider uh, the will to heal, uh, to take a definite stand with themselves it does take a certain degree of intensity i remember working with a woman with chronic pain and um, i remember asking her how oh, how much has this affected you how bad has this become and she started crying and she said well my 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 little girl comes up to me from outside and pulls on my dress and says why don't you come out and play with us anymore and then I asked her how her relationship with her, with her husband was, and she said, well, you know, the pain has certainly interfered with that. It's, it's terrible. I can't do this. I feel so bad about it. I said, look, let's turn this around. What activity would you most like to be healthy for? I mean, if you were real healthy, what would you most see yourself doing? And without batting an eye, she said, well, riding my motorcycle. I said, really? (laughs) Well, that sounds very interesting. Okay, let's create a phrase now that describes what it feels like to be riding your motorcycle. So, I feel great. I feel wonderful, full of energy. And so, I had her start saying that ten times every hour. And she continued on with that at the end of our our pain clinic. She was somewhat better. Um, And then I got a postcard from her about six weeks later. She and her husband... Seated on their motorcycles. Both of them had their own motorcycle. She said, Dr. Kwako, I just want to let you know I am doing much better. My husband and I have just returned from a 1,500 mile motorcycle ride. Wow. My God, if she had asked me whether she should take that at the time before she went, I'd probably said, That sounds like a huge stretch, but good for you. So sometimes we mobilize the will to heal by simply defining what our goal is, very specifically, with a few, with a phrase, a simple phrase that's direct, and then we pour energy into it, we pour our feelings into it, we pour our mind into it, we ask for help from those around us. Remind me, if I forget, I've told you what I know I need to do, and yet there's such a strong tendency for the old habits to take over, and please help me not do that. Uh, It's a combination of that, uh, of these
1: efforts. I know you excited Christine a little bit uh, when you mentioned the motorcycles. So, (laughs) say something, Christina.
0: Oh, I like this patient of yours very much. (laughs) I completely empathize. (laughs) As motorcycling is one of the loves in my life and something that I I tend not to do here in Los Angeles.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's probably a safe thing to do. My brother worked in an emergency room for a while, and when I was first talking about Considering getting a motorcycle, you said, oh, I see many of them in the emergency room. (laughs) But if it's done well and wisely, it can certainly be delightful and joyful.
0: Oh, yes.
1: (laughs) Well, I worked in the emergency department, still got a motorcycle, and ended up as a patient in the emergency department. (laughs) But I still love the concept. Uh, Jim, you talked uh, about the healing power, and you talked about the body, physical and emotional. Any other areas that you wanted to mention besides physical and emotional? Well, certainly the mind and the
2: heart and the spirit, the indwelling spirit. It's always been an important thing to me. Uh, I was raised in a church, went to a church school, but uh, actually left that church a long time ago. But I did retain recognition of the fact that there's a a source of life to each of us, and it's beyond the physical, it's beyond the emotional. And uh, I became a student, essentially, of the Edgar Cayce material, which uh, I found very helpful, very practical ways, and it became, for me, um, a source of inspiration on a regular basis. Just very common phrases: be a blessing to other people. And uh, I use this often uh, uh, to reconnect, to renew myself, I, uh, I'm a student of prayer and of meditation. I think every major religion emphasizes this, having a spiritual practice of some kind. And I think this is the way that we can also mobilize uh, what the, what our mission in life is. You know, it goes beyond just what we think and feel, and it certainly goes beyond our own family many times. I think that's why you can have two kids in a family, and they're totally different. You wonder if they came from the same parents. They have different personalities. And I see this often. And it's because the way life is set up, it's set up to enrich us and to pay attention to it. And the more we do so, I think the more we can appreciate it. But it's looking for the subtle elements for who we are. Um, It's looking for uh, how can I use my mind to solve the problems and trusting in the fact that I, I have a solution capacity within me. I have an inner wisdom. I have part of me that knows my life better than anybody else. And I strongly encourage people to pay attention to that. So much of the time, people are looking for reassurance from a spouse, a family member, a co-worker, a boss. They just don't get the support that they think they deserve. And I I remind people often, you know, we are each our own best cheerleader, our own best coach. We need to recognize the good we do and take credit for it. I am thrilled to see research coming out now called the Three Gifts Study. Um, It's especially mentioned in a book called Flourish uh, by Martin Seligman. And uh, he identifies a number of different studies referring to the Three Gifts, which essentially refer to the fact that um, if at the end of each day you identify the three best things that happened and why, and you take the best one to sleep with you at night. You do this for just one week, and you'll have a measurably improved mood three months later. This is a wise use of the mind. At the end of the day, take a review of what happened and how life gave you Three gifts, they don't have to be huge, minor. It could be something that was just interesting, out of the ordinary, and somebody said something that triggered off something else uh, or said something that was complimentary. Too many of us get too geared up in all the things we have to do, our to-do list instead of our having done well list. And the three Hmm. gifts can be uh, recognizing that in spite of all the problems, the challenges, uh, the frustrations, some things are going well, just getting through the day. Unfortunately, driving, to, driving through traffic at times, we'll see it all slowed up because somebody got in an accident. You know, just getting to the office sometimes is worthwhile saying, I got there and nothing, <laughs> nothing got in the way. I
1: drove on. I manipulated all
2: these people. There's so many things we can, we can be more grateful for. And I think it taps us into a sort of wellspring within us that, that wants our life to go well. And so that's one of the ways I I think we can mobilize this. Um, For some people, they can call it a prayer. I I just call it a wise thought sometimes. And Mm -hmm. with every thought we have, uh, we can be focusing on a more positive element of it. That's not to deny the problems. No, we have to face problems. But most of us don't quite balance the good with the problems. And um, uh, to me, that's part of being a healthy person. And I think it helps prevent disease, uh, much of the time. That's why I enjoy reassuring people about what's taking place. Reassuring people that this is not pneumonia, it's just a cough, it's bronchitis, uh, this is just a cold, it's not a severe flu, this is just a minor intestinal viral problem, this is not a sign of uh, of uh, serious uh, cancer of the intestines or something. And, and I think we need to learn how to reassure ourselves often too. And Many times we don't. We let our fears take over. So part of my task often is to uh, do the reassuring, but also encourage people to reassure themselves more often. Ask for the help when you need it, Uh, and then
1: listen to it and pay attention to it. Uh, Great answer. You know, now every day in the paper and on the news, we're talking and looking at the opioid epidemic. And then when we look at uh, statistics and we find that like one out of four people uh, in the United States, for example, is on some kind of a mood uh, elevator or, or antidepressant or anti-anxiolytic agent. So these people that are taking pain medicines all day and taking uh, medications for their anxiety and their uh, depression, their minds are not thinking in the same way that someone who is free of medication. How, does, how do you work with someone who's on on all of these medications, and help them to mobilize their healing power when they their belief is that the only thing that's healing them is their Vicodin or their, uh, you know, Valium. Well, it's
2: a great question, and it's a huge area that needs more attention. And unfortunately, a lot of people are are, um, overdoing the use of medications. There is value in them because they can give relief quickly. They can boost Mm -hmm. the mood fairly quickly. They can help Mm -hmm. get us out of a crisis. And uh, for that, I'm fortunate. Uh, I I feel grateful to those who have been researching them and using them. However, um, there are many other options available, and so I'm often recommending that People eat well. Sometimes eating poorly is enough to take the mood down and cause fatigue. Um, Not getting enough exercise will contribute to a poor mood. I was delighted to see studies showing that a good exercise routine is as equivalent in mood boosting as the latest antidepressant. But um, obviously, even more can be done. My goal is to accept people where they are, who they are, love them, care for them, uh, do the best I can to help them, and then help them Uh, identify the next step they can take towards their own self-care. And um, at times, that means trying new things. Fortunately, there are a growing number of supplements that are available that are over-the-counter, and can take the place of these uh, uh, neurotransmitter precursors, they're called, or nerve hormone precursors. And I'm very familiar with some of the companies that do this. One of the ones that I favor is neuroresearch.com. But there's a wide range of these, and they're, they're, they're growing up. They're uh, becoming more accessible. And uh, I'm a big fan of people using these. Um, uh, ideally, in line with a professional so that they get the guidance they need. I sure don't recommend people stopping medications quickly, but in any event, I'm delighted to see uh, the support they're getting. I work closely with acupuncturists and herbalists, and I'm um, thrilled to see that uh, they can do what I can't many times, that this uh, very complex, ancient um, uh, study of herbs of the plant kingdom, which is part of who we are to a large extent, also makes a huge difference. So I encourage people to see an acupuncturist and, and uh, herbalist. Uh, sometimes that can take the place of medication. And I'm often recommending counseling of various kinds. Uh, helping people to get over the fact that, no, this is not a sign there's something crazy, something terribly wrong with you. It's a wise thing to ask for the help when you need it. But I'm also encouraged with the self-help tools that are continuously available. The other marvelous one that I learned from Martin Seligman was the the uh, Three Strengths Test. It's a free website a test called Signature Strengths. And uh, it's based on a number of studies in which people... are encouraged to identify their top three strengths and then express each one of them once a day for one week. And if they do that, they have a measurably improved mood six months later. And I think what this does, uh, once people start, the reason it works is because people start doing it and they keep doing it. Because Hmm. if we express the best of who we are to the people with whom we circulate and interact They like us more. They appreciate us more. They're glad to have us in their company. And it initiates, engages uh, our interactions with them. And uh, we become more proud of who we are and what we have to offer. And uh, it's marvelous. And so some of these simple tools are being available. Uh, Sometimes it even goes beyond the counselors we have, but often in conjunction with them uh, can have a
1: dramatic effect. In one of your chapters, it's titled, How to Expose and Expel Resistance to Healing. So, I'd like to hear about that for a minute. Uh, It's hard to picture a person who is in pain or ill resisting their own healing. So, what's, what's that about? Well, um
2: give you an example, I saw a um, minister coming for a second opinion of his, of his back pain. And uh, he asked me what I thought of it. He said his orthopedic surgeon uh, said that he had a 50% chance of being better by having surgery. And so I asked various questions and finally uh, said, well, you know, what are you doing for exercise? Um, and he wasn't doing very much. I said, you know, you ought to at least try these suggestions before you opt for surgery. And he came back a week later and then a week later and a week later. And finally, after four weeks, he came back and, and uh, he said, Doc, I don't think I need to keep seeing you anymore. I am really doing much better. I said, well, tell me what happened. What did you do? What happened? He said, well, just like you said the first time we met, last week I started swimming for the first time. And my pain got better very quickly. Well, the first time I saw him was four or five weeks before that. So one of our resistances is not to follow through with suggestions given. We have our patterns, our ways of eating and using our body, and, you know, consciously, if I were to say, are you resisting healing, there's a strong tendency to say, no, no, I'm not, I'm doing everything I can. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But many times, that's not the case, and I'm not to say that I have the final answer. But uh, that's why I continually ask people, well, you know, what else can you go do? Who else can you see? Unfortunately, we make up our mind too quickly when things don't work. Sometimes people have one acupuncture treatment and they say, well, that didn't work. Sometimes they go to a counselor and they have one or two visits and say, no, I don't think that's going to help. And um, other times they do set up the the habits, but they do it for a week or two. When the problem has been going on for several months, you need to recognize that healthy habits also have to be put into motion for several weeks or several months before you get the, 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 the true benefit that's possible. And so resistance comes in several forms and uh, we need to pay attention to those. Sometimes fears of what somebody else um, has experienced uh, turns us off about trying something. Sometimes fear of needles turns us off about trying
1: acupuncture. Uh, But we have to learn how to confront those. That's very good. That's why I talk in one of my six aspects of optimal health. I always talk about patterns of behavior. You know, (laughs) I want to shift for a minute, if you don't mind, uh, although it's fascinating. We can talk about your book for every chapter of that. But I talked about something at the beginning. You were a member of the International Association of Near-Death Studies. So I want to get a little bit on, on what near-death experience is. Does, what, what are the requirements to have a near-death experience? And does that include dying and being resuscitated? And also, I want to ask one other part, just to keep this in mind. Um, From the knowledge that we get about the near-death experience, how does that help us to learn about how to live a better life, prepare for death, and to deal with death? Well, that's the
2: practical aspect of it, and that's the most useful part of it. There's no doubt about it. I became interested in this about six years ago when we had a Uh, woman in town featured in our local newspaper. She had a surgical procedure at a local hospital and um, the anesthesiologist uh, apparently tilted the head down instead of up and the dye went to the brain instead of down the spine to elucidate um, a bulging disc. And as a result, her heart Stopped, and she found herself in the ceiling, looking down on everything, and hearing this strange sound. Bzzz. Well, of course, that was the sign of the EKG flatlining. Her heart really had stopped, and they have a warning system. And um, she uh, then had a interesting experience, speaking to a spirit on the other side. Uh, yes, your life might be over, she said. But I have two kids. I have to take care of them. My children. And um, uh, there was some interaction and there was some concern. Yes, but if you go back, you're going to go back to a very difficult husband. And he's not treating your children as well as he needs to. And she said, I will leave him if I go back. And the next thing that happened, she was in her body. She woke up. But the most amazing thing to her was, which is very characteristic of many of these, is she felt more elated. She felt more alert. She felt brighter in her mind, more aware of every detail. She heard everything that was being said while she was supposedly unconscious and the heart stopped. And when she woke up, she said, that was fantastic. I heard everything you people said. This was wonderful. I was out of my body. I had no pain. And, well, many times people have experiences like this. And I just finished reading the second book by Jeff Long. Jeff Long is a radiation oncologist who has not had a near-death experience, but during his medical training had his interest piqued and then ended up speaking to the wife of a colleague who shared her near-death experience. Jeff decided in the 90s uh, that he would create a website for people who wanted to know more about radiation oncology. While he's doing that, he received the marvelous intuitive idea Maybe I should set up a website for people who have had a near-death experience. Mm. He didn't know much about it, but people began to respond. And over the years, he's gathered over 4,000 experiences. The scientific mind that he is, he decided, maybe I should study this. He put together 16 questions. He's had over 700 people answer all those questions. And so he wrote his books, um, Evidence of Survival. And then his second book is God and the Afterlife. And he talks about the experiences people have outside their body and a wide range of things. There are several different steps that can happen. Most people don't go through all of them. But one of them is just having the sense, whoa, I'm not quite in my body. Sometimes I actually can see it. Other times, they go through a tunnel. That's probably gotten the most notice, but only about 30% of people experience that. Most people are aware that there's a special being on the other side, and most of the time it's a family member who's deceased who's there, and they say, so good to see you. Let's catch up. You're you're looking wonderful. I'm feeling better than I look. <laughs> yes, all these <laughs> kinds of things. And um, uh, people's lives are changed as a result. They have no fear of death afterwards, and... They begin to treat life in a more special way. They begin to overlook problems that other people um, uh, seem to bother them with before. They overlook their own uh, um, mistakes and awkwardness in ways they didn't used to be before. They take life more in stride. They pay more attention to the moment and making the most of it and the best they can. They appreciate life much more. Um, It's quite remarkable. I am so thrilled to hear these experiences. We invite someone every month and so Barbara Bartolome was invited by Jeff Long uh, to participate in a video he put together and there's a national organization that has an annual meeting different parts of the country and large cities will have a chapter like we have here in Santa Barbara and they bring in speakers and share their experiences and generally speaking what it does on a practical sense is it gives us a perspective that there's much more to life than we realize and that we are much more than our body, that we have a mission. Our soul has a mission. Most of the time, our mission is to grow up and become more mature and learn how to treat our family members better. Most of the time, it's a matter of being more responsible and, and accepting and fulfilling the responsibilities that that is in our lap. Most of the time, it's facing the relationships that are in front of us, and sometimes it is being called to do something special, make a contribution, or go out of our way um, to be helpful to someone. Uh, To me, that's the practical element of it. The most amazing thing to me, however, is hearing people talk about their life review. And I've heard this. I remember hearing this as a child. Oh, your life flashes before your eyes. Well... It really does happen to many people. Some of them get a very slow review. Others get a quick one. In any event, the thing that stays with me the most of many of these experiences is everything is recorded. Everything we say and do is recorded. And yeah. it's not only when they have a life review. It's not only certain things are re- are reviewed, but... It's the other person's response to what we said or did that we see. We see their emotional response. And that just brings to life to me all the greater responsibility we have to try and act with our best self as much as we can, as often as we can. It's hard to remember that when we get tired. It's hard to remember that when we're not treated well. But that's why it's important to set aside some time to reflect on things, be by yourself, get outside, take that little walk, uh, set aside some time in the morning to think about what the day has in store, and, and reawakened uh, our connection to our own inner life, asking it, you know, be with me today, I need your help, these are the things that are most likely going to happen, and you know how hard it is on me, protect me a little bit more. Give me a few words to help me say what needs to be said when the boss wants me to do more than I'm capable of. Help me to be stronger. Help me to be um, more tolerant with myself. Um, And so, in any event, that's the practical element. I thought, my gosh, uh, the more we hear these stories, in general, the other thing I hear from people who have these experiences is uh, a greater love of the life they have. They, they really, many of them did not want to come back because they were free of the body and their mind was more alert than they'd had before. They felt loved in ways they had never experienced before. And it's for everybody. There was no judgment. That doesn't mean you, you, you still don't have to learn various lessons. It just means there was no condemnation. There was an acceptance. And, um, and it's remarkable to see that. And it's remarkable to see the effect that it has on other people. And then... I see people, I see it in myself, we start treating ourselves more that way, too. And to me, that's uh, that's a real benefit of hearing these people share their stories. Christina?
0: Oh, that was the best yeah. tip in the world.
1: <laughs> we haven't even gotten our health tip yet.
0: I, oh, my goodness. We could go on and on on that topic. As you very well know, Glenn, that's one of <laughs> the topics I do love. Wow. Um, this is such a thrill, uh, Jim, because just to hear you present even about the, the three gifts. Um, when I think my child was about f- three years old, we started every day, uh, three things you're grateful for. Mm. and And you are absolutely right. And now I do it, especially when with not just him, with elders, with my own mother, and you are absolutely right, it's so beautiful, the shift that begins to happen, as simple as that. And I love the fact of um, what you've said about meditation, about being kind to oneself, you're a very, very special family practitioner, I gotta tell you. It's too bad we're not closer.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's very kind of you, Christina. Or oh, well, your no. children were fortunate to have you um, um, be that way with them, uh, to have it start early. I remember my mother saying, I was having trouble sleeping one night. She said, Well, you just think about something very pleasant, and mm. that will work for you. And I don't know where she got that from, but I remember that. And I, and I'm grateful to this day, these, these bits of wisdom we get. And sometimes it's a teacher, sometimes it's a friend. And so I think one of the best things we can do is review these bits of wisdom that have been given to us and energize them and wake them up at the beginning of the day, not just the challenges of the day, but the support we've received and mm. put it to use. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Lovely. Wow. You're, you're right, Glenn. The whole show is a tip.
1: but, but speaking about bits of wisdom we are we are at the end of our show and it is time for a health tip so i can't imagine you have anything else to tell us but surprise us okay well um
2: you know there's so many tips and um I have a chapter on on nature in my book, but my tip for the day is set aside some time to take a quiet walk, at least for 10 or 15 minutes. It can be just going outside the door. Hopefully the air is clean, the fresh air. There's so much more energy outside, but more importantly, it connects us to the larger life of nature. I see Mother Nature as a mother to all of us. It's a mother to the plant kingdom the animal kingdom, and the human kingdom. And if we open our heart to it and we ask it to help us at the beginning of the day or the middle of the day or the end of the day, at least once a day, interact with it, invite it to help us see who we are in the larger scheme of life and fill us with the renewing ability that seems abundant and, and remarkably regenerating
1: in so many marvelous ways yeah i'll take a breath on that that's beautiful
0: oh very uh, well, much So
1: you did surprise us you gave us one more tip mm. that was great <laughs> so jim before we go is there anything in preparing for this that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to and if it's something we could talk about for a moment great otherwise we'll have to have you back <laughs> um
2: no, I'm I'm just delighted to be part of this. I appreciate the effort that both of you are making to um bring um Experiences uh, that I've learned, that other people have learned to many others, um, you are broadening the resource of, of how to live in healthy ways to many other people, and, and I admire that. I'm doing that with one person at a time, and you're extending it to a much larger audience, so uh, my appreciation for the efforts being well done.
1: Thank you for that from Christina and I, and thank you, Jim. I'm grateful to our special guest, uh, Dr. James Quaco, for sharing his wisdom, experience, and expertise with us. I'd like to thank my healers and my teachers for keeping me on my journey and where I am today. I look forward to getting together again on Magical Medical Tour uh, with all of you, where we will explore another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy. And until our next meeting, thank you, Jim, and I wish everyone... Optimal health.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Jim, really, truly for honoring us uh, with all your expertise. It's been quite a thrill ride for me, at least. (laughs) And thank you, Glenn, for another amazing show. It's uh, really wonderful, the whole flow. And of course, we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support, and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. You can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman through his website, glennwoolman.com, where you can learn about his metaphor, Square Breath, or follow him on Facebook at The Medical Guide. Uh, you can also connect with Dr. James Cuoco, uh through his clinic in Santa Barbara, and we will have his um, information right there on the site for you, and we encourage you to read his book. Immobilizing Your Healing Power, and that is available on Amazon, and the link is there on the website as well. We hope that this moment on YHTV has supported you or a loved one in some way, and we invite you to take a moment to like us or subscribe to our YouTube channel. This will really help to broaden the message to those out there on the global scale. We're always grateful for your feedback, comments, suggestions. Please give us a call at 818 818- 818 Let's talk. 818-LET'S TALK. Until next time, namaste.
1: We know that the uh, systems of sound and hearing uh, start in the uterus very early. Uh, And we learn about sound through vibration. And one of the interesting things that I did in my research is, you know, there's the certain frequency of sounds that we hear in the human ear, and then there's sounds that are below that frequency and above that frequency. And within the realms of medicine and healing, medicine, Western medicine, uses the sounds that are above the hearing sounds.